You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. We're really excited about our conversation. We're going to have a really important conversation today. We've got two great guests, and I'm going to introduce the first person, uh, and that is Gershon Nimbaka, who is the National Director of Common Grace and founder of Sojourners Social Change Consultants. He has more than 15 years of experience working in advocacy, policy, and research, as well as leading and growing grassroots movements to campaign on issues of social justice. Gershon lives on the lands of Awabakal peoples in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia, with his young family. Drew, you got the gift of tongues. You did well with the pronunciation of different lands. That leaves me the pleasure of introducing my dear sister, Safina Stewart. She is a proud Watati and Mabiog Islander who grew up cross-culturally both in Aotearoa, New Zealand and Papua New Guinea and here on these lands known as Australia. Safina is passionate about culture, education, the arts, justice, faith, and his commons, graces, relationships, and storytelling coordinator. Safina lives with her family in regional Victoria on the lands of the Bunurong people. You two, thank you for your time. I know you've got a bunch of interviews. We have a week left before this referendum happens. Love to give you both an opportunity to explain to our international audience and those who are listening in um, uh, here um, in Australia, uh, what is this referendum and and why yes? Yeah, great. Go, Svina. That's all you. This <laughs> referendum um, um, in Australia, it um, connects to the livelihoods, well-being and decision-making power of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first peoples on this continent. We didn't come from anywhere else. We are actually crafted out of the land. We Mm. have stories that go all the way back to the very beginnings of all story, where we were shaped by the very loving hands of creator spirit and life was breathed into the nostrils of our first ancestors to give us life. From there, we have law and story that says that we were given the pathway from Creator on how to look after, protect, care for, and love all the rest of Creator Spirit's beautiful creation. The unique thing about our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is that we are innately connected to this sacred land. You cannot separate us from it. And sovereignty can never be handed over to anybody else because that honour and nobility was given to us from the Creator. When we think about the story of Jesus, it is reinforced, not discredited. So this referendum, there is, there has been, I'm sorry, over decades, much conversation and talk about whether or not... (laughs) Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should be recognised in the Constitution of Australia. Yes, we are not mentioned and yes, we are not recognised as yet. We have had conversations that this is important. However, we, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, have noticed that by just inserting recognition into the Constitution, 
we leave out a very powerful part of what it is that we call for and need, which is the empowerment to have our own voice heard by the leaders of this country, by the political elected, apparently in a democratic society, elected leaders of this nation. Now, the consequences of not being heard the consequences of not having a national body or regional or local wow. bodies that can inform our Australian parliament and politicians and policymakers about what affects our lives and what our advice and wisdom would be is that we will be shortchanged every time by those who are making decisions about us without us. The dire consequences here, and I'm not... Um, I'm not ashamed in this community to say that they are dire consequences, mm. is that our people are more incarcerated than any other people on the planet. Yeah. The rates of mental health, early life um, passing away, infant mortality, suicide rates, Children being locked up at the age of even 10. Mm -hmm. Systems being made to remove us from our families rather than integrate us into our families, strengthen families, or even build our cultural networks as families into communities and strengthened community. All of those things are against us because now you see, this is not just because someone didn't like us because of our brown skin. This actually has to do with um, systems and structures that are now deeply embedded into the Australian uh, way of life. Wow. We, the so-called lucky country, perhaps we are the most unlucky people on earth. Wow. It is so innately embedded that we have become invisible. So many attempts of genocide over us and many of them almost successful. And yet you must remember that we are sovereign and that we have the blessing of the great creator. So, you know, we have survived, but mm. the thriving has not happened and the flourishing has not yet happened. That kingdom of God essence. So I'm trying to continue my train of thought. Forgive me. <laughs> the consequence of not having the voice of Aboriginal people heard, and for that voice to actually be um, enshrined so that it can remain consistent. What it means is that we've had the history in the past where uh, bodies representing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community have been set up and then at any moment, well, I have witnessed this in my very young 43 years. My mother has witnessed it even more and my grandmother even more yet. Mm. All three of us, as three Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women in the same line and generation, and that's excluding, that's not even including all of my aunties and cousins, we have all seen how the rug has been ripped from underneath us. We have seen how our babies have continued to be imprisoned, taken, to, uh, taken by the police, not given fair treatment. We have seen discrimination and racism in schools. I have three young children and I still go into the schools to bat for them to explain what racist 
behaviours by teachers and students are, and I ask for the bullying policy, which doesn't wow. usually include racist um, um, uh, policy and process, mm-hmm. um, I have to go in and defend and educate every single time. Good thing I am a trained educator. I'm a consultant to the principals, the executives, the boards of schools. I know this system so well, and yet I am still going in to defend and protect my children because it is so rampant. Racism Mm. is so invisible in this country. And yet here we have this moment in history where the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have called for a referendum, and we have had one Prime Minister... Anthony Albanese, who has, unlike all of the previous uh, prime ministers here in Australia, actually taken seriously the call from our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to place us in the constitution and to give us a body who can represent our people, an elected body, elected from community, from community for community, speaking on behalf of community to our to our elected members of parliament. And so this is incredibly significant and in no way is it a small matter. This is life-changing for us. And I hope you don't mind that I've started with a ferocious mama bear tone. I I feel (laughs) that I don't have much time. And we have suffered a lot of loss in our family. What that loss has taught me is that we are finite. And so if there's one message If I'm gone tomorrow, what's the one message that I bring now, today? And what my message is here today is that justice for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is the very mandate given by our Creator and Saviour God for the body of Christ to help bring forth in this context today. It is not time to wait any longer. It is not time to beat around the bush and say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not powerful. That's nonsense. There is a referendum in a democratic society. The ones who are sovereign, the ones who have responsibility and power over the decisions of how a constitution can be changed are the very people who call themselves citizens of this country. So I would like for everybody to consider writing, yes, this invitation is from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I know that the media has messed everything up. I know that this has been overly politicised. By the way, this is part of the racism that is uniquely peculiar to Australia. Get used to it and see it. But this is now the time to listen to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices and put this line in the sand. I'm saying enough, enough, because I want my children and for the future children, the future generations of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to be seen, heard, celebrated and seen as a gift to this country, just like it states in the Uluru Statement of the Heart. So people are already voting now. Early election has happened. The Australian people are going to the ballot boxes. But the final day is the 14th of October, 2023. We know that there is a lot of mess out there and we may not get the result that we are hoping for. But the thing that has blessed me are the incredibly deep and connected conversations, the brave conversations, the reflecting in the mirror that people have been doing, the deep prayer that people have been doing. That has heartened me because I don't think we can go back 
to the invisibility, to the silencing that we once knew. Even mm. if this referendum is unsuccessful, I actually don't think that we can stay as we were as a society. There is a consciousness now that has happened within the last three months, 12 months, seven years, 15 years, and I know that is part of the working of my great, holy, powerful, wonderful, loving spirit known as Creator, who is always about renewal, always about justice, always about love, and actually invites us into that very beautiful path, that way. It is the way. And I know that my Jesus put everything on the line to bring about a pathway of restoration that did not exist. So we actually have, <laughs> we actually have a lot going for us, is what mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. Okay. I actually have an incredible hope. But um, in some we have this referendum coming up. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Australia, and I hope that we grab it and that we never look back wow. and we are able to say, I was a part of that. Look what good came. Look yeah. what changed because I got on board, because um, we got on board, because we listened. Look at what empowerment and change has happened for our beautiful Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who we need and who are so um, connected to this land and so connected to Creator. Who are we without them? Now that we have them more innately and um, embedded and infused and immersed in our lives, we are a greater country, a greater nation, a greater community, a greater family, a greater individual because of that justice that came Amen. today. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. I, um, you were speaking to my soul. Um, yeah. As you can imagine, so much of what you said resonated uh, across the globe to so much of the Black American experience as well. Um, and I can see how deeply our distinctive struggles are so intertwined, right? Um, and so just so grateful for your witness and um, the passion and the clarity, the moral courage and clarity that you bring um, wow. to this conversation. Um, speaking of that, um, one of the things that we love to do uh, in Inverse is to um, to kind of just set the tone by having a, a scriptural passage that can kind of just sit with us as we have a conversation that we can return to later. And so uh, what passage have you all chosen that you'd like to read um, that we can um, kind of just set the tone before we start having a little more conversation together? I can jump into that. Um, sorry if you can hear my four-year-old in the background uh, who is <laughs> trying to bust in and join the podcast. So, the solidarity, oh, brother. Yeah, no, that's yeah right. I appreciate that's that. World. <laughs> um, we've chosen a passage from Mark chapter 10 um, that I think speaks to some of the struggles um, and like a, a more Christian way of engaging with them in some ways. Um, so we'll come back to reflect on this, uh, I assume, as we have our conversation. But let me just read mm -hmm. the passage from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. 
Jesus and his disciples went to Jericho, and as they were leaving, they were followed by a large crowd. A blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that it was Jesus from Nazareth, he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Many people told the man to stop, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him over. They called out to the blind man and said, Don't be afraid. Come on, he is calling for you. The man threw off his coat, and as he jumped up and ran to Jesus, Jesus asked, What do you want for me to do for you? The blind man answered, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, You may go. Your eyes are healed because of your faith. At once the man could see, and he went down the road with Jesus. Oh, man, one man. Um, we'd love to hear from you both uh, a bit of biography as theology. So our, our question is, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? I was a little girl. My mum would tell me stories by the kitchen, when I was playing with my Play-Doh, when I had friends over. I don't remember encountering a book. I remember encountering my mum. I also remember my dad. He would take us on the back of his motorbike and give us like fun rides around the backyard. I was living in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. Born in New Zealand, but in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, we were surrounded by bush, rainforest everywhere. I remember watching the birds of paradise come and fly, just like you might notice a galah sitting on a branch outside, <laughs> like Jared did this morning, and he texted me, he said, galahs have come, they must know you're arriving soon, Safina. <laughs> well, that experience was mine with the most incredible endangered species, the bird of paradise. When I would see out in the bush, I, I feel like the stories that my mom and my dad were sharing with me just in their life, just in their stories, in their words, but also backed up by the way that they did life. Well, that's how I first encountered the Bible. Amazing. Um, I mean, I reflect off some of that. I've grown up with the Bible. It's there as part of my earliest memories. I remember sitting with my father as he, I still remember the images from this massive illustrated children's Bible that we had. Um, and like those images that come back, you know, they're mostly stories of giant whales that would eat humans and <laughs> lions that weren't so hungry and ships that could take every animal on earth and transport them for days on end. Um, but of course, in the middle of that, there were these stories of Jesus and his kindness. Yeah. Um, and my father would read to me and then talk to me about... Um, so I think that's like, they're the earliest impressions of the Bible that I get. I, like, I remember reading the covers of this children's Bible with Dad. Um, so it's been it was positive and exciting. I think since then I've probably encountered the Bible anew in a whole bunch wow. of different phases and shapes of life, um, and it spoke to me and challenged me and frightened me and 
done all sorts of things as I've wrestled with it. But uh, in terms of the earliest memories, probably sitting on dad's lap as he flipped open this picture Bible. Beautiful. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, I appreciate both of those answers, both mm -hmm. the embodied practices of which uh, you encountered, Safina, as well as um, these stories that captivated you, especially as you mentioned the the stories of uh, Jesus and the kindness of Jesus you mentioned. Wow. So that's really powerful. I'm really curious, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different um, ways that they encounter the Bible and the impression that they have of the Bible itself. Um, so we always ask, you know, was your experience of the Bible liberating or oppressive or maybe something else? Uh, how would you describe um, what you were encountering as it relates to the Bible? For me, unfortunately, it's both. <laughs> yeah. In liberating uh, moments and more so very oppressive experiences. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I struggle with this because I know that the Bible is God's love letter and life guide wisdom well for me. And how dare anyone or anything get in the way of that gift being delivered, that letter being put into my letterbox. Well. Um, but when I think about how it has been liberating, I think about um, I think about my dad, and my dad is an incredible Bible teacher. His name is Reverend Bob Fergie, yeah. and he has been a um, he's been a Bible college lecturer for so many years, and I just never really knew it. I knew him as loving dad. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that when he got the opportunity to speak in churches, I always understood everything that he was saying. Mm. And yet when other speakers or preachers got up, yeah. I just, <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out what they were really meaning. I, I thought, well, that could be interpreted in lots of different ways. Are they so narrow-minded that they can't contextualize this into the spaces of the people who are actually here, which includes mm. mine? Mm -hmm. And I was often perplexed. Mm. I have grown up in communities where there are very high, distinctive and elite scholars, theological, academic scholars. This is one of the unique spaces that I, as an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian woman and at the time girl, have. There are not many of us who had to bear what I had to bear. Praise Wrong. the Lord. Um, because in those spaces, um, I was taught to obey not God, but the patriarchy, the, the white, wow. male, uh, supreme law, and the administrators, administrators of those law were the white women wow. who shaped and uh, cut off things of me in my essence so that they would not be um, seen in order to protect the um, the strength, the power, uh, dominion of the of the um, the powers that be, oh. to keep the peace. Um, 
to keep uh look <laughs> i don't even have i don't i struggle to have the what? words and um i appreciate those who are writing and who are speaking on areas of um decolonizing anything and everything mm -hmm. including theology and christian experience and religion I, I appreciate their work because i can understand the unraveling that i went through and then yeah. the re-threading re and the weaving that i went through as my brother joel mccaro has given me those words um oh. the thing that i could not counter in all of that oppressive story and i've only touched the surface you know there's well, more no. stuff me about that <laughs> so i'm just touching it because we you know we've got to keep moving here but the thing that I could not deny was that Jesus was real in my life. Yeah. Not deny that he and I had this remarkable connection when? and that this Jesus was telling me every step of the way, don't worry about that one, Dylan. Yeah, tie your hair back because they are offended by your big, buffy hair. But, you know, I made that hair and I love you like that. So as soon as yeah, you're so out of you get that hair out there and let it breathe in that sunlight because that hair is connected to this country, that hair is connected to your ancestry, all of the people behind you, and that hair is nothing to be ashamed of. Mm. It is your beauty, your glory, your crown. So you get that hair out as soon as you leave church. <laughs> I had this deep relationship with my loving Saviour and mm. I, I learnt the voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit talks to me all the time. There are my physical ears, but then I've got these other ears on, on me. My yeah. feet have this incredible hiccup, sensory ability. I can step onto places and my feet start hearing things that no one my else friend. really knows how to describe. When I know if it's a good place to step into, I take my shoes off and I walk because it's sacred, holy ground. Yeah. But when I know that I'm not invited into a space or if it's dangerous, I put my shoes on and I get out of there as mm -hmm. as quickly and as quickly and safely as I possibly can. When the ears—that's only one example—but my ears to be attuned to the breath and pulse of that holy spirit. Yeah have become refined and I cannot deny that, even mm. though I have been so broken down mm. by systems that don't even recognize their breaking power. Yeah. I wanted so much to hate the church. I, I really worked hard at it. I do confess. <laughs> I... Um, I did not want to have anything to do with it. And I spent many years after rejection, after rejection, you know, certain roles that I was able to take and yet others, you know, don't dare hand her the microphone. <laughs> yeah. But the anointing was on my mouth. God yeah. anointed yeah, yeah. my words from my mouth. So, uh, yeah, just hilarious what roles were allowed and what were not allowed. Always uh, able to serve communion and clean up. <laughs> but I wanted to abandon the church. I wanted to betray the church because of all the pain that he had caused me. 
but I couldn't deny the beckoning and the invitation of my Holy Spirit and my Jesus. Well, well. So in these years, I'm a bit like Jonah who <laughs> got caught <laughs> in I have had to pray that God's love for the church, the body of Christ, would be given to me. Yeah. And I have begun to fall in love again. And I've begun to trust again. And this has been a very deep internal healing process. I've had to do my work. Believe me, Mm -hmm. I've had to go into some desert cave places where I have screamed at the face of God. And I have scratched his eyes out. And he has held me to his chest and said, I called you. In me. And you are part of my work here. With me, you are not alone. And so now, for instance, in my wonderful role here at Common Grace as the storytelling and relationships coordinator, all I have to do is be me. And all I have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit and share what it is that I'm hearing direct from Creator so that I can give it as a gift of love to those who are actually starving without it. Yeah. And I have realized that my experience of being a mother, protective, that lion roar in me is so deep and profound. I will do anything to look after and protect my children. And I have realized that that's the heart of my God. He would do anything to look after his people and to bring them back to himself, back Mm. to themselves, back Um. in relationship with each other. And somehow, despite me, he's asked me on that invitation journey as well. I call that a miracle. I call that even a bigger miracle than the conversion of my life trusting in Jesus at the age of five. (laughs) Miracle. So has it been a liberating or oppressive journey? Well, I'd like to now inform you that this has been the most liberating experience of my life and that I am learning to read that story of the Bible with new and fresh ears, more informed about who I am and more informed about who put me here and where we're going together. Thank you, you, Jesus. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Glory. Love you, Jesus, so much. You are good. Um, It's it's just I can't express how much enough – it is a privilege to work with Safina. That's right. <laughs> uh, and just that part poetry and part prophecy, I think, but that that message she has for the church that's embedded in her story so deeply mm-hmm. and the restoration that can bring and the liberation that comes out of it. I am so excited every time I hear you speak, every that's time it. I feel, I, I grow from it, I'm inspired by it, but I think of the church who dearly needs to hear it, the church that I've grown to dearly love and think about how powerful they can be when they hear that sort of message, Safina, so thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, my journey echoes small fractions of that uh, in some ways, but especially the part about, you know, the my experience of the Bible, whether it's oppressive or liberating, it is both, Um, but it has absolutely been on a trajectory where 
I've been, uh, I've grown, my theology has been transformed hugely and it's grown down a pathway, I hope, of where the oppressive has been shaved off and the liberating continues to come to the fore in these mm. really exciting ways. Um, and the oppressive, I don't want to understate the oppressive because the oppressive at times has been huge. Um, I'm always a glass, glass half full sort of guy. Um, but the oppressive was problematic, patriarchal yeah. undertones and the impact that had on my family and my mm-hmm. parents' relationship um, mm. was hard and problematic and still needs to be unpacked. Um, and there are echoes of the problems of violence that would have my friends reeling at the idea that I would follow this book, this Bible, this religion. Um, and that's taken a whole bunch of processing. It's caused enormous faith crises at times. Um, there's been questions of like, how can I believe some of this stuff? It just seems abhorrent. But I think to to pick up a thread that Safina mentioned, the anchor point for me through it all, and you know, it probably connects back to my earliest memories of the Bible, has been Jesus. Um, okay. And as I've grown in his knowledge of him and his teachings and his way, um, it's given me a frame to reinterpret and re-engage with all of that. Um, So even while there was plenty of the oppressive lingering around the edges of my theology, that piece has always felt like it's been liberating and it's seen me through some really hard stuff some moments of deep darkness, it's been the bit that I've come back to. And as more of my faith has been built up around that, um, I don't think I've ever gone through that full deconstruction that some people have, but a strong renovation at the very least, where uh, (laughs) Jesus at the cornerstone there and building things up from that has been wonderfully powerful. and hopeful and transformative. And I guess in some of the roles I've occupied, one of the things that I've loved is the church has all sorts of problems and makes me very sad in a whole bunch of ways at different times. A lot of my work in the last 15 or 20 years is working alongside the church and often a very conservative part of the church, worked with the Baptist church, um, I've worked with Adventists, I've worked uh, cross-denominationally now, is that one of the strengths of the Bible is it gives us this common framework, this common tool. I still oh. see it, you know, it's, its greatest blessing is it's a pointer towards Jesus. Um, uh-huh. And possibly our primary revelation to the character and person of the creator. Um, it gives us a framework that we all share in common. And most Christians sit somewhere with a perspective that the Bible has value. Um, there's differences on the value and how we interpret that. But it gives you this common source to talk about. So even walking in, and conservative churches value it more than most. Um, not yeah. that I love the language of conservative versus liberal, but a lot of people see, a lot of churches out there see tons of value in the Bible. So going into churches and talking to them from the Bible about the transformative, loving, kind, justice-orientated, heart of Jesus and his vision to see all people and the rest of creation flourish and joining the links between that and their faith and the world that they're in today and what they can do. 
it's not a message that takes hold of every Christian, but so many of them it does. And I've seen churches then, like individuals within churches and then churches at large, be transformed by that. Mm-hmm. Um, move out of a sort of insulated sphere of these are the things we focus on and you know it's private morality and piety to an open expression that pursues the flourishing for all people, that wants to yeah. step into the sorts of things that we're talking about with the voice right now. They're taking yeah. up that invitation that Safina and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have given us and said, what more can I do than just write yes? How do I speak to these issues? How right. do I advocate these issues? Um, and in that sense, the Bible is wonderfully liberating, right? Like Boing. it is liberating for individuals. It is liberating for churches and through them, it is liberating for the world um, because it brings us closer to that vision that Jesus, I think, calls us to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's always been both, but my journey is, I see it, my faith is liberating. The Bible is a tool that certainly one of the primary tools that strengthens my faith. Um, and I find myself now in this place where I've never been so excited to be a follower of Jesus. Um, yeah, I've yeah. never been yeah. as energized about sharing that and how liberatingly wonderful that is mm-hmm. with others and calling them into that that world and that life um, and working through how does the Bible help us do that? Mm. They're really powerful. Thank you both. Um, Drew, in just a bit, is about to invite us back into that passage that Gershon read in the beginning. Um, I was really struck by Safina's language of ears, her other ears. And uh, this next question before we return to the passage is giving you an opportunity to distill things that maybe you've heard or have helped you develop ears so you can hear um, uh, the the gift of Holy Scriptures as something that is liberating. Are there particular things from your story or experience that you would offer to others as gifts that they might read the Bible in ways that are liberating for them? Yes. Can I be very, very practical in answering this question? Mm -hmm. Please. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, okay, people, the aim is connection. It is not brain power and it is not um, developing your brain cells and your synapses so that you can win an argument. The <laughs> aim here is connection. Now, the next question is connection to what? Mm-hmm. You want to aim for connection with creator, yourself, and country. Let me explain that a little bit further. You're looking for- Particularly, Safina, for for those who aren't familiar with Australian Aboriginal English when it comes to terms like country. Thank you. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you for that lead. Um, All right, I might just explain that now. So when I say the word country, just imagine that I'm writing it with a capital C, O-U-N-T-R-Y. Country in our Aboriginal um, ways of knowing and doing, um, it is it is not um, uh, a space on a map. When we're talking about country, we're talking about a living spirit of nature and creation Uh, we are talking about water fire air 
mountains, ecosystems, animals, all plant life, um, the sap in trees. We're talking about grass. We're talking about food that comes from seed. We're talking about soil, the tiny microorganisms that are in the soil to keep it healthy and well. We're talking about our bodies. We're talking about humankind as well as um, animal or um, plant kind. We're talking about the birds. We're talking about everything that was created from creator that exudes the energy of life. You know that it is country because it regenerates, it renews, it fights against death, it fights against sickness. It can be harmed, but it is not a commodity. It um, It is not something that can be carved up and owned. It is the very value of every living thing. Country not only is nature, but is family. And so when you know that you have been made from the land and from creator, I have um, a deep knowledge then and appreciation then that little Mr. Echidna over here is not just an echidna, not a little spiky, cute little... um, mammal that is it's not just cute you just keep be careful of those ones because they got poison in there (laughs) 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 but it's not just a cute little furry spiky animal that echidna is kin to me that is brother he's my brother i am family i must look after protect just like i look after my natural brother of the humankind or my natural Mm. son of my humankind Um, So country, when we're talking from Aboriginal spirituality, Aboriginal ways of knowledge, of knowing and doing, country is every other beautiful thing made by creator. Mm. And so therefore, when I'm talking about the aim here is connection, connection to God, to self and to country, All of it is about coming into a space of worship and reverence to the great creator with the rest of creation that I'm making a shared space, holding hands with creation and saying, let us praise and give echoes of wonder to this great creator who sees all, knows all, loves all, is with us, even despite Efforts to annihilate, destroy, kill, commodify, carve up, steal, rape, destroy. Despite that, look, let us connect to our creator. Who, by the way, I see the reflection of creator in you. Oh, beautiful tree over there. Oh, magnificent butterfly. (laughs) Oh, delicious child sitting on daddy's lap. (laughs) I see my creator's essence reflected in you you are held within creator and creator is held within you 
for the practicalities of helping make meaningful stories and experiences when reading the Bible, I would suggest that you get outdoors, yeah. that you would sit and listen a while, walk a while, and let your feet be your ears, that wow. you would let your heart be your ears, and that you would smile so broadly, be your beautiful self, just be you, wow. because your creator adores you and holds you. And whatever the message, the special gift of truth that's given to you, be open to receive it. And by the way, it's probably going to bypass your brain. Well, it's probably going to enter your heart. Yeah. That's liberating. That's well, freedom. That's strengthening. And that actually fills us with a fuel and energy of great love and the essence of life that no matter where we step after that, we go uh, full, full. We go whole, complete, mm. all one, because we have taken ourselves away to be connected back into relationship with creator and creation. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, Sabina. Um, I think there there is so much of that that resonates with me, so much of that that stretches me again. Like I think my faith is so often so heady. Um, <laughs> it's that call to have it be more visceral and connected wow. and grounded um, is really powerful and challenging. I think of, and you may have picked up some of this in me reflecting off oh, my journey towards a more liberating version of faith and theology. Um, but I think it's grounded in the same things, but probably a bit more heady in that idea of connectedness being supreme as one of the key ways that I now use and engage the Bible. Um, one of the big differences that happened for me was I went to a, a number of churches uh, growing up that were very rules-based in their outworking of how they do ethics and their impact on our lives. And that was, let's find the Bible passage that relates to this issue and let's apply it directly to work out whether this is right or wrong, whether this is in or out. Um, so a very deontological ethic. And then we, as I sat down with the story of Jesus and read the New Testament letters, I was confronted by two things that were quite revelatory for me. The first is that Jesus seems to be orientated towards a virtue-based ethic. Um, so it is more of what is in someone's heart than what comes out of him that's important. And the primary virtue that seemed to center all of Jesus's epic was love or connectedness. Um, after all, God is love and they are synonymous things um, in the way we should construct them. So at the heart of how Jesus is responding to things, it's moving out of this virtue of love 
that is transcendent in all through all um, that calls us into connection with all things, all people and the rest of creation. Um, so the move to a virtue-based ethic centered on love as one of the frames that I read the Bible. And the second thing is Jesus seemed to be animated by a vision of the kingdom of God where all people and the rest of creation flourished. Um, and he seemed to be reading the scriptures back through these two lenses constantly. Um, was the Sabbath made for man or man for the Sabbath? Um, and often challenging the way things had been done or were done. And so if those are the two orientating points that I have um, from my great teacher, my great Bible interpreter, the Rabbi right. Jesus, um, when I go back and read through texts and scriptures, I'm reading them with that frame in mind. And that is wonderfully liberating because there's stuff that I sometimes read, they go, that does not look particularly loving or that how does that move us closer to a vision where all things flourish? Um, and maybe there's parts of the context as I'm reading it that I don't get and it is loving and it is moving us towards a flourishing vision. But if I don't get that now and I'm trying to apply it to my current context, I sit it there and go, okay, what my responsibility to do is try to discern those principles in it. And if I can't, try to understand now what is loving, what moves us towards that, that vision. Um, and I think that becomes a really powerful tool to enjoy reading the Bible. Yeah, uh, I used to be scared of it at times, be able to run into <laughs> things that I would be like, I don't want to stone my rebellious kid um, <laughs> as the Bible commands me to. That just doesn't feel like a loving act. Um, you know, as he's banging on the door trying to get into the podcast, <laughs> my first response is, I should probably stone him for that. It's usually, <laughs> no, um, I want to surround you with love and yeah. help you feel connected um, because that moves us closer to a vision that we want for the whole world. Where mm -hmm. He flourishes where the rest, or people flourish and the rest of creation flourishes. And I think to Safina's point, the other thing that has come out is that it is, as I see in Jesus and in the, throughout the Bible, a vision for a fully redeemed creation that is motivating us, not just people. Um, we're not separate from that. And that call to steward creation well, to steward country well, um, is so important. And one of those responsibilities that I think our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian brothers and sisters and just brothers and sisters without faith remind us of so strongly and call us towards and show us how to do that in this country in ways that um, we don't encounter otherwise. So I think that's been really useful um, mm. as well. So yeah, read it through the framework of the Rabbi Jesus, recognizing that virtue and a vision of the kingdom are our primary determinants of how do we work out and wrestle with these texts. So good, so good. Um, it was interesting, just for what, I mean, Safina, it's, so in the United States, um, I, I wish when uh, white Americans said God and country, they meant exactly yeah, that's right. That's yeah, what yeah, they meant. Yeah. Yeah. Can you know? imagine? Um, they have a, a diseased understanding of country here right that is not it is nationalistic it is property it is whiteness um and it is not about that kind of vision of connection and wow, wholeness wow. and the comprehensive 
all-encompassing way that we are connected to all living things. And so I just really find that beautiful. Um, and next time I hear God in country, I'm going to have your voice in my head. That's right. Re <laughs> Reimagining those words because I love um, just that vision. And then uh, Gershon, as you said, um, you know, this, the rabbi Jesus and the virtue right. of love oh. and this vision of the kingdom of God um, and how both of those two, both what you both said are drawing us into a much more comprehensive vision of our place uh, in all creation. And so I want you to hold that. And I know we don't have a lot of time, but I want you to carry that with you as you help us kind of understand a little bit of like what is in this text. Uh, can you walk us through this passage that you guys have chosen uh, with our remaining time together? You want to jump in on it, Spina? Yeah, you oh. start, Gersh, and then I'll follow. Because you, you're holding the baby on the lap there, and that's hard. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but sis, don't, don't let us make you late for your next appointment, yeah? Well, wait, I'll just leave, brother. I'll just walk I'll out there. Uh, <laughs> just leave me here. Right. <laughs> you take <some> later. <laughs> well, well you, you can tell um, we've deeply enjoyed this. This has been really profound. Yeah. Any episode yeah. where I'm crying, I know that God's doing a work in me. So <clears throat> you're both welcome back anytime, and we'll make sure that that happens sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think this this passage speaks to me of one of those principles that have been uh, embodied in my faith for a while. So that, that idea that all people are worthy of love and dignity and respect. Um, I think it's not uniquely Christian, but Jesus certainly democratized it and made it powerful wow. amongst his followers in some really amazing ways. So wow. you, Genesis reminding us that we're all created in the image of God um, as a sort of starting point for our unique worth and value i think was a really transformative idea for the early church um and i see it pop up in this passage but i think we one of the great problems of the messiness of australia's story right now is that the british and the white people that came here and colonized they forgot this fact, and I, uh -huh. or they willfully ignored it. I mean, they were uh -huh. being reminded of it by a bunch of Christian voices, actually, as they uh -huh. arrived. And they instead chose to say that the cultures and the people that living here weren't quite people. The cultures uh -huh. weren't quite fully worthy of respect and dignity. Let's declare this land terra nullius and let's colonize it. And there was tension there and there's nuance to that, but essentially it was a failure to recognize the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations that existed in this country and the people here as fully human and equal to themselves that has created this mess. And then wow. we repeated the mistake when Australia became a nation in the constitution, right? Like there were people calling and saying, hey, in over in New Zealand, we just signed a treaty with our native people. What yeah. are you doing in Australia? Um, and they're like, and we were going, oh, look, they're not that worthy of recognition. They'll probably die out in a few decades. We don't need to include them in the constitution. Right. And we continue to wrestle with that problem. And the good news is that both sides of this debate see that as a problem of our nation. Um, yeah. Both the yes and the no camp, as we look at constitutional recognition in our referendum, are sitting there saying, are sitting there saying, we need to recognize Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. There is a debate about how that is done. Um, 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, as Safina said, have said they don't want token recognition. They want to be heard. They want a voice. It's such a modest, reasonable, meaningful ask. Yep. Uh, I don't know how we go against it. So let's let's read the passage in that light um, mm. where you've got Jesus and his disciples coming into Jericho and a man who's obviously heard the reputation of Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, hears that Jesus is coming and calls out to him, calls out to Jesus. And Jesus' followers in this context are like, shh, silence, why are you calling? Like, you're not worthy to speak to Jesus. What are you doing? Sorry. But he calls out all the louder. And Jesus' response wasn't to approach him directly, actually. It was to call his followers to say, hey, you recognize him. You bring him over. And then Jesus does this amazing thing where he doesn't, you can see that the man is blind, but he doesn't then just say, okay, snap his fingers and heal him, which we know oh, that wow. Jesus can do and has done in other stories. He looks at him and asks him, he gives him the dignity and the respect and says, what do you want me to do for you? Let me listen to you. And the man Bartimaeus says, master, I want to see. It's then that Jesus heals him. Um, Jesus sees him, recognizes his dignity and worth, while his followers who had been with him failed to do that. Gives him the dignity to ask, what do you want me to do? And then responds. I think it's a great lesson there for our country. Um, yeah. I think recognizing the dignity of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people has been a huge failure. Let's fix that. We've asked them what we want them, what do they want us to do in response? Safina's has given us our response. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have given us their response. We want to be heard. Give us a voice. We should respond. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Safina. Oh, thank you for all of that, Gersh. That was amazing. Oh. I'm struck by the fact that Bartimaeus was blind and side he was um, on the side of the road in the gutter. He didn't cause his own blindness and he it wasn't his fault that yeah, he had to disability and the disadvantages that his disability that his disability then brought within the society that he was born into it was mm. not his fault and yet he was living in a society and in a system that excluded him ignored him um. i can relate to that for our aboriginal and torres strait islander people we did not choose this disadvantage. We did not even assist in becoming disadvantaged and further oppressed. We have been fighting against that for life and for flourishing. Don't look at our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the ones to blame for the mess that we are sitting in, please, Australia. Mm -hmm. Stop condemning us and saying this is your fault. And as a as um, as a result, using your myths on us, your stereotypes and your racist opinions on us to condone uh, the continual perpetuation of the injustices. See us. Mm -hmm. I'm also struck by 
the be quiet, the being told to not speak, the um, the insistence to be invisible um. and to not take up space and to not uh, go against the flow. After all, there was a big crowd that day and Jesus was busy. I mean, he and his peeps were going somewhere. Don't interrupt the important ones, the majority, the powerful, the popular. Don't disrupt. And here we have the beautiful Jesus who stopped and who heard and who gave instruction, like what Gershon was saying then, gave instruction to the others to go and find out what that fella there needed on the side of the road and to come back and report back to him. I'm struck that they still said, um, when they said, when, when um, Jesus stopped and called him, the, um, the people in the crowd or the disciples said, cheer up. <laughs> and <But> I'm yeah. <laughs> thinking, <laughs> it, it's as if saying, uh, excuse me, blind beggar, can you behave right? Because we're about to take you to this um, this famous popular man who has called you. Could you please uh, behave properly? <laughs> <laughs> and I love what blind Bartimaeus did. He threw off his cloak. He went, stuff the look, stuff how I look or what my appearance is to the rest of you. I'm jumping up on my feet. And I am coming. I'm responding to the call. I, yeah. I find that almost quite audacious there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much clothing this man was wearing already, but for him to throw off a cloak, it makes me think that maybe he wasn't wearing too much and maybe what he was wearing below wasn't the very best quality anyway. Despite the shame of that, mm. he went to Jesus. I find him courageous. When Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I'm struck by this on behalf of my Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people because there's a challenge here. There's a challenge for us to own what we need to own. Now, that's not us taking on the blame, but it is us taking on what we can do to bring change. And there was a challenge to name the need, to discern the need, to name it, and actually to look up into the potential vision of change and of better. There's something about looking up, yeah, looking well. ahead, and then reaching it, reaching for it by first declaring, this is what I want, this is what I need, and this, by the way, is what I'm going to put my body, soul, spirit all behind because it is worth grabbing. <laughs> um, and okay. I, I just love that when Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus waited for all that thought process to happen, <laughs> waited patiently. He listened, he heard, and he did it. He gave exactly what Bartimaeus was asking for, sight. And I know that that would have changed his whole entire world. 
Karen. It would have changed his economic opportunities. There would have been restoration to his family and community. He would have been able to travel the sites in the world. He would have joined that crowd and followed Jesus everywhere and been absolutely loud in his wonder awe of everything that was new to him that he was seeing with fresh eyes. And that the gift would have been that he was giving other people the experience of seeing with fresh eyes themselves too. But Jesus said to him he had to go. I gave him a job. Oh, my goodness. It wasn't just about the party of the healing. He was then given a role, a very special role, to go and to keep his faith alive. Remember forever that it was the faith, the God, the power of self-belief and the faith in Jesus that healed Bartimaeus. I find it's a challenging message because here we are as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and we're saying, stop suppressing us, and yet here we are. We've got to be part of the liberation. We have to be part of the renewal. We have to be part of the new imaginings. And that has role and responsibility attached to it. And yet it's in this, it's in the doing of life that we flourish. It's in the work and the hard pain of growth that we flourish. And just like any tree that has dug its roots so deep into the ground to find the nourishing water hidden below the surface, those trees can grow big, have Mm. amazing bloodlines of sap, running through their veins and and extend their branches so far and wide that they give shelter home to so many others who call the branches, the trunk, the the bark, the root system home. I see our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the great oaks. We have depth. We have plumbed through the roots of pain, oppression, suffering and grief. We have plumbed deeper lines of root systems, (laughs) tapped into the very life source, the flowing living water of Jesus. We have been burnt and yet we have survived fire. We've been (laughs) flooded and yet we have survived even flood. And here we are, just like after the bushfires, there's new growth. And our challenge now is that we would extend ourselves up and spread broad and take our role and place as creator placed us here to be the hosts for everyone who needs safety here on creator's lands who we have the privilege to care for as the caretakers and the custodians of these lands. I am excited about the returning of role and I know that that will mean goodness for everybody in these lands. I love this story of blind Bartimaeus. That's a challenge. That's so good. That's so good. And I mean, I I really appreciate um, just the multidimensional implications that this passage has just for, I mean, everyone, right? Um, As you all are 
thinking about this referendum. Um, I mean, I know in the church, like everybody loves to just see themselves as Jesus in the story, right? That's just where people just jump in, right? Uh, Jesus in the story. But I, I imagine that um, as people hear you both, you know, just spirit spiritually just narrating this story once again for your context, um, it's an opportunity for folks to actually discern, like, who am I in this story, right? Like, it'd be nice to think that they're the saviors, right? But certainly, you know, those that have been white colonizers and such, that doesn't mm-hmm. really make sense, right? It'd be even easy for them to, for some folks to see themselves as Bartimaeus. Um, but again, for colonizers, um, you know, as much as Christians love to, at least in America, I can't speak for here, certainly I imagine that there's, uh, sometimes a persecution complex where people, they know they're supposed to be the suffering ones. So then they, you know, manufacture know. stuff, even as they're reproducing harm on <laughs> others. <right. laughs> so, but, but what is it, especially in the gospel of Mark, um, it's a really powerful challenge for those who call themselves disciples precisely yeah. because, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark won't let the disciples off the hook. Well, for their yeah. lack of faith, for the ways that they don't actually follow Jesus, for the refusal to step into the way, right? And I think that what you guys have kind of painted for us, this image, is, you know, uh, precisely uh, embracing and seeing like Jesus clearly is walking the way. Bartimaeus has, as you said, Safina, the, cor- the courageous faith to unashamedly and fully step into the way of Jesus, right? And follow okay. after. Um, and the, But there's this still an opportunity for repentance. Um, and that is a global call for those that have participated, right, in the doctrine of discovery and colonial conquest and have denied indigenous peoples um, their rightful place, right? That's in right. the lands, um, in their own country, in the way that you mean, Safina. Um and I think that um, it is a it's a powerful like that kind of confessionary stance is a moment of repentance that can actually lead to that kind of deep connection that I think people are yearning for. They don't even always know what they're yearning for, but that is a part of it. And I think that's really powerful. So anyway, I just really appreciate that. Well, but I think well, it's man. that challenge of finding ourselves. Right? Where do we fit in the story? Um, and I think there's ways for each of us to move closer and closer to that comprehensive country of creation embracing as God desires uh, for all of us. Mm. I I love that. So can I just draw a thread out of that? I know we're about to run off against time. Um, I love that question of like trying to work out where do we position ourselves in that story? And I think in the, the Christian tradition, there are these different threads of trying to work out have we stood with the crowd that have ignored Bartimaeus and ignored the full humanity of the people yeah. around us? Or have we stood with Jesus even as Good without, even as the crowd has tried to silence us? And that that's existed mm-hmm. as I've examined this closely this year to wrap my head around how did we get to this point where we where we're yearning for unification as a country and a shared story, but we're so divided in so many ways. How did we get here? Um, I've recognized that there have been these profound voices, these prophetic That's voices right. speaking into the problem, calling this allegedly Christian empire and these followers back 
to the roots of their faith. Um, And I think that is part of the challenge that we have now. Which thread of our faith and history do we sit alongside? Do we continue to sit alongside that the voice of the oppressors, the crowd that continue to ignore the full humanity of the people that are around them? Or do we join that prophetic tradition of saying, actually, the Jesus way is a different way? Yeah. Um, and they've always been there. And I, so I think I don't, I don't sit there fully ashamed of my Christian heritage, which has a really been an interesting wrestle for me in this. Okay. Because amidst the colonial narrative of power and empire, there are still these prophetic voices that I'm like, amen, brother. Yep. Yeah. I've yep. been on the colonizer's side. I recognize that. But I'm also want to be on the side of those prophetic voices that are channeling Jesus in the midst of that. That's right. And then we can be proud of those people. Oh, yeah. That have constantly mm-hmm. called us back to remind us. Um, yeah. And, you know, this was happening, Australia's history was unfolding concurrently with the fight against the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When the Wilberforce yeah. reformers had achieved so much with addressing slavery, they turned their attention to Indigenous issues around the world and became a prophetic voice. And Australia mm-hmm. struggled to hear them. Yeah. I'm like, men, that is my faith as I want to see it expressed. Yeah. Um, let's see more of that prophetic voice. And that's, let's do that now as followers of Jesus. Let's sit on the side of that prophetic call to go. There are unjust systems and structures here. Our nation needs to do more. Let's point towards a better way. And I mean, if I can be playful, this is the ultra call, right? Like, um, Safina has made the case real clear. It's yes. And, like I mean, even that, if we get this that, win, that, um, um, there, there is like still committing ourselves um, to being in solidarity with whom Jesus is found amongst. And uh, um, one way that people can do that is, of course, commongrace.org.au. Um, I'm not sure if you're accepting international membership, but uh, um, uh, check it out regardless of whether you, you find totally yourselves um, in Australia or elsewhere. Um, but this has been incredibly rich. Um, yep, we yep. give thanks and uh, pray for you both. Uh, so thankful for your work and witness. Yeah. Um, know that uh, we love and support you 100%. And we'd love to have you back at a later stage. Um, so if any way we can be of help, yeah, you let us know. Uh, Safina, I know that you have uh, another uh, national conversation that you're about to jump on the radio. Um, uh, well, to I'm popular. Oh, I'm popular so <laughs> today. Better not get a big head about it, Harry. <laughs> All you're going to do after the 14th is just like sleep for a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I actually, I actually have booked three nights away, away from my family, just to recover because my body yeah. has mm-hmm. had to so it's many things, as well as my heart. Fine. Anyway, yeah. I'm digressing. Yeah, well, um, uh, you, you rest well when that time comes, um, yep. and uh, we look forward to hanging out when when you have some have more time and energy. But this has been great. Thank you both so yep. so much. Thank you all. It's been thank such a blessing and honor to have been invited. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's a privilege to be here with this community. Thanks, guys. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.